Hello, Bonesai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonesai, and welcome to episode 45 of Little Things for Bonesai People, the podcast. Uh, today, I'm going to be interviewing Randy Bennett. How are you doing today, Randy? Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, we're going to be talking about bald cypress bonsai and uh, Randy's history in basically just in bonsai in New Orleans. Uh, I've talked about Randy a little bit on previous episodes, so we finally got the man on the on the show. So we'll be going through all that. But uh, before I go too far, I want to mention that our show is sponsored by our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people. Like I've said before, and many, many times, it w- if it wasn't for these people, we wouldn't be able to do the show. The show wouldn't be possible. So I'm going to start the list off with Tori Solis, Vicky Auth, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, uh, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Giordano, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard, Bonsai Australia, Green Witch Gardens, Taylor Peacock, Chase Pertweet, Austin Atkins, Karen Codswell, Urian in Bonsai Garden, Louis Torres, AC Castle, and Bonsai Marine. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show and being Bonsai Best Buds. Uh, but I can't also fail to mention the editor of our show, Matt O'Donnell. He's a uh, bass player in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. He's an amazing guy. He makes it sound smart. He cleans up the show, makes it sound really good and digestible. So you guys can listen to it on your morning drive to work, or you can just listen to it while you're working on your trees. Uh, so thank you so much, Matt, for making the show awesome and sounding great. So Randy... Uh, I know we were wor- working through a couple of technical issues this morning, but we we got you on the show. Uh, <laughs> how's it going over there in the city? You're not too far from me, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, inviting me to come on the show. I appreciate that. Uh, and especially to talk about one of my favorite uh, topics, which is bald cypress. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we, I talk about bald cypress a lot. Um I don't know if people who listen to our show get tired of hearing me mention bald cypress, uh, just kind of like hand over fist, talk about like they're one of the best species to work with in North America. They do everything that you want bonsai to do when it comes to developing them earlier on. And then whenever you start to really refine them, they do everything like above and beyond deciduous conifers. I mean, they're, I think they're just, if you don't have one in your collection here, Especially if you live in Louisiana, I mean, you're kind of missing out on a great opportunity to work with a really awesome species. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they, they. Uh, it's one of the few species you can't kill by overwatering. <laughs> yeah, it's truly a, wa- a water loving tree for sure. Um, and that's one of the things we can kind of talk about after we kind of talk about your history. And is uh, we have a lot of questions that have come in about you know submerging trees versus not submerging them and just hand watering them and all that good stuff. But before we get to the really technical stuff, uh, uh, tell the listeners about your background in bonsai, Randy. Well, uh, 1971, uh, my father brought home a little Japanese maple, uh, bonsai from, uh, from work. There was a gentleman at his office that grew bonsai, the oriental gentleman. And uh, so my father, not really sure why, but he he bought one and and brought it home and gave it to me, and that was it. I mean, I was I was hooked, uh, and then quickly proceeded to kill everything I laid my hands on. Uh, <laughs> I was not using uh, there was there wasn't anybody selling bonsai pots back then uh, that I knew about. Uh, you know, you go to a 
uh, to a nursery to buy pots. And, and you know, you can either buy them, uh, you know, looks like a big flower pot or something that didn't have holes in it. And I tried both. And like I said, uh, you know, didn't know anything about soil. And I actually um, actually took the bus. I was in high school. It was a junior in high school. I took the, took the bus down to the public library in New Orleans. And I found one book on bonsai. Hmm. Um, I checked it out. Uh, never brought the book back. I probably owe about $3,000 in library fines at this point. But <laughs> to, today, I mean, it's really like, it's. I look at it from time to time and it's really laughable, uh, you know, what was in that in that book way back then. But um, anyway, the, um, <clears throat> I, that kind of gave me a, a little bit of information. And then I found out um, about the Bonsai Society here in New Orleans in 1980. Um, so I had a full nine years to kill kill trees before um, mm. hooking up with those guys. <clears throat> they had a um, they had a BCI convention at a hotel, <clears throat> excuse me, down on Canal Street, um, and uh, so I went down there and saw that. And in that exhibit was a bald cypress by Dave DeGroat. Yeah, and I must have stood in front of that bald cypress for a, a good half hour just looking at it from every angle. I was just fascinated with it. And so I joined the club on the spot. And um, uh, soon after the convention was over, Dave DeGroat did a beginner, a six week beginner course that I signed up for. And then I just dove in um, off the deep end at that point and got um, uh, started going over to David's house. Uh, started uh, talking with Vaughn Banting and Donna Banting and just uh, got into the club uh, full force. Then uh, then started, uh, Vaughn kind of took me under his wing as well and started having me um, do programs for the club, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and, so I've been uh, at it ever since. I, had, I opened my own nursery um, back in those days and uh, shut it down in uh, 2005 when Katrina came along and, and killed all 200 trees I, of mine that I had at that point in the, in the backyard. Mm -hmm. um, took a vacation, uh, if you will, from, from bonsai because uh, after, you know, you've been uh, growing trees um, since the seventies and eighties, and then you lose everything, uh, after a hurricane, that's uh, it, kind of devastating. So I I, uh, I took a step back for for almost five years before going out. And what was the first thing I did? I went out and collected a big bald cypress and got started back into it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've if that's the same bald cypress I'm thinking of, that's the one you showed at the Texas show, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I've posted pictures of that tree. And then have you posted anything anywhere of it um, outside of the Bald Cypress Facebook group that you started? No, no, okay. that, that's it. All right. Um, if with your permission, I'll I'll share it again on Instagram so people can see it. Um, sure. It's an am amazing tree. It's very, very, uh, I would say, old school, kind of classical, formal, upright, very good taper. And you we're able to grow knees on it. Uh, yeah. after collection, which is also yeah. just something that you don't see very often. Um, so, yeah, and you mentioned David DeGroat uh, earlier, and if 
people haven't really listened to a lot of his other episodes he's been featured in. Like I know he's been featured on a few other shows. He's been on our show, but I don't think a lot of people know that he was in New Orleans for a good while. He's, he's a native New Orleans. Absolutely, um, yeah. And uh, I don't remember, I can't remember exactly what, at what time he joined the Pacific uh, Bonsai Museum. Uh, but he was here for quite some time. Obviously he had been doing bonsai for you to see that tree. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's just an awesome connection to hear right there that, uh, that, that, that was one of your first like influences that you had seen, especially in a bald cypress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he left to go up to uh, the Pacific Rim collection, um, somewhere in the mid, mid eighties, I think, um, hmm. somewhere around that time anyway. Yeah. I can't remember the exact opening date of the Pacific Rim before that's before it, it was Pacific Bonsai Museum now. Um, but yeah, it, I think there was a, there was a magazine. I had found it actually, I found it in one of the New Orleans clubs. It was just kind of sitting there. Uh, I want to say it was 1989. Um, I think there was even like a Bonsai Today article written on it opening, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of stuff that I like to, one of the things I like to do every once in a while is kind of connect bonsai history together and try to let people know that Louisiana bonsai is very relevant. <laughs> it just hasn't been a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of recorded history for as far as bonsai goes here, unfortunately. Right. So, but, uh, but yeah, Von Banting comes up a, a lot as well. And, uh, and so from my understanding, you were very good friends with Von. Um, and then you also, Worked worked with Guy every once in a while whenever he was being trained with Vaughn as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Vaughn, uh, the, the the very first um, public program I ever did, le- little lecture. Uh, Vaughn asked me to do it um, for the for the club one night, and I, I was nervous as could be. I, I had never done a, a you know a program on bonsai. Trying to tell here I am basically a, a newbie to the club, and Vaughn has me standing up in front of everybody. Um, talking about Chinese elms, so I'm standing up and I've, I'm well prepared. I've got my I've got my notes. I've got everything ready. I'm I'm talking, and all through the um, all through the little lecture, uh, every once in a while, people would start laughing, and I'm like, oh, geez, is is, is my zipper down? I'm uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to discreetly check to make sure, you know, and they, they would just keep laughing. Then um, they would go quiet. And after a few minutes, they would start laughing again. I just, I kept going. I just, you know, gave my program and everybody had no idea. I wasn't saying anything funny. And then afterwards, uh, people came up and said, said, oh, I gotta, I gotta go ahead and tell you. Vaughn, Vaughn sat in the back with a laser pointer. Mm-hmm. And and every few minutes, he would lower it from the ceiling down and put it right in the center of your forehead, and that's what yeah. everybody. <laughs> so Vaughn was a he was a he was a great guy, but he was also a real practical jokester. He he was always clown clowning around, but the knowledge that that man had on horticultural techniques and bonsai was just unbelievable. Um, between him and Dave DeGroote. Uh, I, I learned so much from those guys and, and they had a lot of great, great people. Um, you know, guy, guy came in and, and started uh, learning from Vaughn as did a bunch of other uh, gentlemen in the, in, in the club, uh, Gary Marshall and uh, Dow, Dow cousins. Uh, there was a lot of, a lot of us that um, learned a heck of a lot from Vaughn. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Vaughn, he opened the Bantings Nurseries in um, in New Orleans, right? That's like all from his family heritage, right? Right. His his uh, his father. I'm not sure when it got started, but um, yeah, I know his father was running it uh, when Vaughn was was small um, mm-hmm. and just a, a, a teenager going over there working on on trees and stuff. Actually, putting Vaughn started putting. Um, <laughs> He would take coat hangers mm-hmm. and take the coat hanger, undo the coat hanger, and use the wire of the coat hanger to uh, shape trees in the in the nursery and put bins in them and so forth. And his father came along one day and says, "What are you doing?" And he says, "Well, I'm bending this tree. I'm putting movement into it and everything." His father said, "You're doing bonsai." He said, mm-hmm. "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this would have been. Er, much earlier and oh I, yeah i mean as far as like this is one of the things i try to i try to touch on a little bit with with some people i know if they're uh in a certain region it's like where was the earliest bonsai within their region and so obviously a lot of the early exposure for us would have been just like you said the early book that you found in the library and i also know about there was a run of uh sunset uh, like hobbies and activities books that just right. mentioned bonsai back in the day. Yeah. And I, th- I think that was like the sixties, which yeah. is crazy, but there was definitely a golden age of bonsai that, that you were like fortunate enough to be in was like the seventies and the eighties when it was really yeah. starting to kick off. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's when Vaughn, Vaughn and Donna would get people like John Naka, uh, Ben, Ben Oki, um, uh, and, and people like that, they would get them in for like a week at a time mm-hmm. and they would just live at their house and they would do bonsai all day, every day. And, uh, you know, they would invite a, a handful of the members over and, uh, you know, God, I mean, it was, yeah, it was really, it was really incredible. And, yeah. and uh, John knock, he's another one of those jokester guys, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> Oh man. He had, he had just, uh, Vaughn asked me to come over there one uh, one evening for uh, wine and cheese with uh, with John. And there was a couple of other guys from the club that he invited. And uh, John Aka had just gotten back from, uh, from a tour in uh, Africa. And so he pulls out, out of his uh, little coat, he pulls out these two bags of seeds. Hmm. And he opens up one of the bags and he gives... He gives each of us some of the seeds. He says, now I want you to take those seeds and put them in your mouth, put them in the cheek, inside your, your cheek. And nobody said a word. I mean, if John Naka tells you to put some seeds in your mouth, you don't ask questions. You just put the seeds in your mouth. So that's what we did. <laughs> and then he starts telling us about how um, these are from the baobab uh, tree, and but they're very difficult to get to um, to germinate, and that there were only two ways. One was you had to put the seed in a vise, and he would show us this little point on the seed, and said, so "You take the smallest drill bit you have, and you just penetrate that outer shell, and then you plant plant the seed." So the only other way is through the elephants. The elephants. They would come up with their trunks and they would strip off the leaves and eat the leaves. And of course, they would get some of the seed pods. And the digestive system in an elephant's stomach is very, very hot. And it was the heat that would crack <laughs> open those, those seeds. 
And then when the elephants would poop, uh, then the seeds were, were cracked, they were ready to germinate, and they were already in, in fertilizer. So he said, you know, I, I collected seeds from the pods, and just to be on the safe side, because I didn't know if the drilling technique would work, I pulled a bunch of seeds uh, from elephant poop. And mm -hmm. he said, you know, I wish I could, I should have labeled which bag was which. <laughs> you know, of course, everybody starts spitting out the seeds, yeah. and John and Vaughn start laughing their full heads off, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so he was <laughs> he was just as much a jokester as Vaughn was. Yeah. I I mean, unfortunately, we don't have those gentlemen here, but uh, I mean, I, they were they went too soon, you know, to be awesome yeah. to see what they thought about modern day bonsai now. But yeah, yeah, that, that's why we have these conversations. So we can we can have this somewhere to kind of look back. I mean, uh, these are really important moments that just these are only like hearsay or just spoken um, I've, I've heard stories through the clubs of, you know, of Baton Rouge, New Orleans, of just various artists that come. Mm -hmm. And and for a long time, they, they were just always very small communities. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank uh, thank you for sharing those stories. I know um, if you if anyone I know a lot of people use Facebook now, um, you can go over to uh, is it Bald Cypress Bonsai. It's a Facebook group that was started. Not too long ago, uh, it was probably like a month ago now at this point, you have a lot of members now and a lot of people have been sharing very beautiful trees on there. And I've gotten to see a few pictures that I know have probably never seen the internet. They've just been sitting in files on people's computers. And uh, I think you had shared a picture of Von Banting standing with uh, with um, Kimura when he had visited his garden at one point. Right, right. I, yeah. I never knew that happened. I, I had heard that Kimura had visited the United States and did a tour, but that that picture is, I mean, it's so 80s. It's so, you know, you can tell how young they are in those photos, and you can see Vaughn's trees in there. I mean, yeah. he had a beautiful bonsai garden. Yeah, and, and uh, Vaughn, Vaughn had been struggling for years to get his flat top bald cypress designs uh, accepted. And every time you had, um, uh, particularly masters from, from Japan, uh, come to uh, New Orleans, and he would talk about flat top bald cypress, it was just dismissed out of hand. Luckily, a, a few of those people, he managed to get out into the swamp and actually show them what he was talking about and how these trees look when they're when they're mature. And Vaughn made the comment. He said when uh, when Kimura visited his garden and asked uh, Kimura asked to have a picture taken with Vaughn next to his flat top, Vaughn said at that moment, he felt like he had finally made it because if Kimura <laughs> was willing to accept his design and asked to be photographed with it, he felt like he had, he had finally made it. Yeah. That, that rec that recognition is, is more than enough. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of what Vaughn ran with. Um, and we, we can see a lot of photos. Like we, I mentioned earlier, the Pacific bonsai museum, uh, before we were setting this meeting up, I just saw they shared a picture of one of Vaughn's trees they've had in his collection for a long time. Um, also, there's his tree that's been at the National Arboretum in um, Washington, D.C. That's been there for a, a good while as well. Um, I, and I know it's hard to see a lot of his trees, but now it's kind of 
carried on through tradition, which is where you're kind of picked up on it. And you still uh, teach flat top bald cypress pretty regularly. You have a, a group study that you've been running for, uh, you're about three years in, uh, instructing people how to bring Yamadori to flat top. Right. Yeah. We've done, uh, uh, I've done, I, I've started a few groups, um, uh, in Louisiana and in Texas mostly. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we, we, it takes about three years to really get them to the point where, okay, now you're at the point you've learned enough w- where you can kind of take off on your own and finish, finish the design. So yeah, we're taking stump cut ball cypress, uh, out of the swamp and developing them over a three-year period into hopefully what they can, uh, something that they can be proud of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen some really like great results from these trees. Uh, cause there's quite a few of the members very local to here. Um, and one of the things that, and I mentioned this earlier, one of the things that, that you are instructing is not only how to grow a flat top bald cypress, but also to get bald cypress knees. And, yeah. I, and a lot of people, are not very familiar with it because bald cypress has a very broad range. It actually grows anywhere from the tip of Florida all the way up into the very top, like almost into Canada. It's like in Maine. Yeah. Um, but the knees are something that we see predominantly in more of a Southern humid climate. So you could see it like anywhere from Houston into Louisiana and up into Tennessee. Um, so for for those of you guys that are listening or comp- are curious, look up bald cypress knees and you'll and if you haven't seen it before, it's really something like it's something crazy. It looks like it's on another planet. Um, but to get them to grow in a pot, the the theory had always been that you have to grow a tree for a long, long time, and then submerging them in water is kind of like one of the methods it's got to it's got to be a bonsai for a certain amount of time but you've achieved this in a shorter amount of time than decades that people have claimed yeah it it um i collected one um let's see year before year before last mm-hmm. um put it in uh in a mortar tub now it was a a fairly large tree i think it had about uh 16 inch spread uh, at the soil line. Um, but the following, uh, I collected that in winter and by the midsummer of that, uh, the next year, um, I had knees popping up. So you can, um, first of all, the tree has to be at least 12 years old before it'll develop knees. Um, unfortunately it's, you know, once the knees develop, um, you know, it's one thing that you really cannot control the size of. You know, previously, people would try to find bald cypress with the knees already on them. Um, the difficulty there is that most of the time the knees are so out of scale with the tree that it just looks bizarre. Uh, it doesn't look natural at all. But when you're growing them, um, you know, the, the knees, they don't just, you know, shoot up to a, a foot in height. I mean, it depends on the, how much the how much water you have and how deep the water is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors. And then you can control it. Um, at a certain point, you remove the, the tree from the from the tub of water and you just continue to make sure that the soil stays stays wet. The knees will grow, but they'll grow at a mu- very slow pace. And so. 
I've had knees on one Cypress that um, I've been uh, I, that popped up, and I got 23 knees the in, all in one year. Um, and the biggest one is maybe about four inches high now, and the others are like an inch, two inches. Um, so it's much more in scale with the tree. Um, but yeah, water is the key. And um, we've done a lot of experimenting over the years. Um, uh, students of mine, myself, um, in developing them. And it, it doesn't take, probably the average would be, you know, two to three years um, growing them in water to get, um, to get knees to develop. And you said they have to be at least 12 years old. So that's at point of collection. Um, yeah, they, the, the studies have, uh, and I've, look, I've, <laughs> I've tried to make bald cypress my, like my mission in life because of Vaughn. And um, uh, trying to pick up where he where he left off, and I've read so many uh, so much research and so many studies on on bald cypress, and that was some fairly consistent information that I ran across is that they won't uh, they won't start developing these until the trees reach the age of about 12, 12 years. So. Now here's a here's a there's a lady in in Baton Rouge uh, was in a workshop with me here uh, last year. Um, she had a bald cypress that was oh maybe three inches in trunk diameter, but mm. she had a, a knee, and the knee was like as wide as the tree, and then about three inches tall, and it was very rounded on on the top. And she was very upset because she says I wanted it to be pointed. I wanted just you you can control what happens above ground but you it's really difficult you really can't control the shape of the knees when they come up um you know but but the problem was even though the tree she had had the tree for like for like 15 years um it was out of scale so here's this the knee is as as wide as the as the diameter of the tree trunk um mm -hmm. and so it didn't she was not happy with it and I said well you know, if you're going to grow knees, you know, I would suggest having something with at least at least a nine inch base across the bottom. That way, when you start getting knees, at least they're in scale um, with the tree. And, and nine inches or larger, I think, at the at the soil line would be a good rule of thumb if you're going to try to to uh, develop knees. Mm -hmm. And and also they uh, one of my one of the people that. Uh, that I collect with and I talk bald cypress with a lot as well as uh is Nate Murray. Um, and he's collected quite a few trees that are smaller, and then they'll have knees growing directly off of the tree. Yeah. Um, and that I've I've found that that's that's more common. Um, but some people don't like that. Some people prefer the knees to be in the soil line, whereas I think. The knees growing on the tree is a different thing, and I don't know what causes that. And I know you wrote like a short, no, not not long, well, longer than I probably have written on any kind of research on bald cypress. But you wrote a nice little article about the development of bald cypress knees. Is there anything you found uh, on bald cypresses that, like growing on the trunk versus in the soil line? Did you find anywhere in your research about that? No, um, yeah, but it doesn't. You know, it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of it just depends upon the, the water level. Um, 
in, in the swamp, we have, you know, you have a dry season and you have a wet season. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the wet season is usually from about March through September and then the dry season, of course, during during the winter winter months. But sometimes, you know, if the if the water level gets higher uh, up on the trunk, then the the knees get higher. They 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 always grow to a point a little bit higher than the average um, water level during the during the wet season. But if you've got a, a and they only grow on the surface roots, um, I've got one. I was showing a friend of mine just a couple of days ago on on a bald cypress. I've got a, a there's a root um, that's oh the, the diameter is maybe somewhere between pencil lead size and pencil. It's it's um, you know it's not very big around. But here's this. Um, sort of peanut-sized knee that's starting to develop on it. So they Mm. will develop on very small roots. So if you've got fibrous roots that are coming off of a tree real close to the trunk, uh, they will certainly start throwing up up knees uh, right up next to the trunk. And as they grow, because the water level gets gets higher, they just fuse right into the the trunk of the the tree. Mm Mm-hmm. At least that's my at least that's my interpretation of it. I don't I I don't think that knees normally grow off of the trunk. I think that they wind up getting fused to the trunk because they grow really close to it. And as both grow, then they just sort of become one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got one tree in my personal collection that was collected, I think somewhere around I'm trying to just kind of guesstimate because it was collected by Nate, say probably four years ago now. And I potted it up into a mortar tub whenever we got it. And it's been in a, I think part of it could be the mortar tubs and the shallow cut. Like right when you, when you uh, collect the cypresses, one of the things that I know a lot of beginners will kind of stumble with is when they collect their trees, they don't cut the bottom flat enough to get it into a shallow container in the, in the future. Right. Because if you leave any amount of that taproot below, that cypress is going to really take advantage of that taproot and it's going to put all those roots down there and you're going to have to cut those taps off and it's going to set the tree back again yeah, uh, pretty severely. So one of the things that me and Nate were kind of looking at when we collected this tree was we made sure that um, every batch of cypresses that he collects, we cut them up really close and then we go ahead and just put them straight into a shallow container. Yep. Um, and this tree in particular had a section where there was two knees that popped up. When I repotted it this past season, I put it into a smaller bonsai container to kind of slow it down because I didn't want it to glow, grow like like a weed. Uh, that's one of the issues that one of the one of the like one of the few cons to growing a bald cypress is that sometimes they're too aggressive. Um, <laughs> But yeah. it it grew really well, and then I potted it, and I found these two knees, and so I brought those knees kind of, and I brought them up a little bit, and they are just like right in the perfect spot, right in front of the tree where I would like my front to be, uh-huh. but but they haven't this year. I've been growing the tree and kind of working on branch development. I haven't been letting it kind of grow out too crazy, but the knees have probably increased like by like a few millimeters this yeah. year, barely. So when you get those little stringy kind of roots that have the knee on them, like you described, 
I've seen those. I've actually seen those in person, like when I've been at you know a few of the the club meetings, and those knees have some height to them, even though they yeah. have such a small root. Right. So I don't know. Like, and I'm also running the tree that I'm describing that's in my collection. I'm running it in Akadama pumice and lava, mm-hmm. and and I haven't really seen any difference between it and the other soil type that I'm using, because I know there's a lot of back and forth about what soil is good for bald cypresses. So, <laughs> you know, and I was told, and this is just something you that some, you get in some downright arguments with. People. Yeah. But people will really get upset about it. And, 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 uh, one time I was actually chatting with guy with, uh, with guy Gidry back. This was probably, six, seven years ago when I was really starting to get into it and I was really pushing for information. And I was like, Hey guy, what, what kind of soil do you recommend? And I was really getting into it. And guy was like, you know, you don't really have to try too hard. I mean, a tree will grow in styrofoam if you like plant it in there. I mean, and he kind of just told me that and I'm like, interesting. So, so as long as it, it's water retentive to some extent, especially with cypresses is kind of what we were talking about. He's like, cypresses will grow in crap, but they'll grow yeah. in top soil as well. Yeah. And, and I've seen, I've seen roots develop in both, but I mean, there's no definitive answer. Like you said, you could get in long heated like arguments and conversations about that type of thing. But I mean, is it really worth worrying about what they're planted in? Yeah. Well, for me, uh, I, you know, and, and guys, good, good friend of mine and we've known each other for forever. Mm. Uh, guy has never been concerned with, with, uh, growing knees um on his bald cypress and he's got some beautiful bald cypress and has created some magnificent specimens over, over the years um for me i i i like growing knees that's just this uh, to me the knee the presence of the knees helps to create the the more natural setting for these things in the deep south and it sort of helps to transport the viewer to that place in the swamp where, okay, yeah, here's a beautiful tree, but here are the knees as, as well. So I, I like growing the knees. And um, I've gotten into discussions with a lot of people about, about soil, and everybody has their preferences for soil. Uh, most of mine are growing in uh, just miracle grow potting mix with, with um moisture control so it keeps them really wet uh mm-hmm. one of the things that i discovered uh years ago was when i was growing these the the, the very first time i had them pop out uh, i was concerned about them growing uh, out of scale with the tree so i immediately took the tree out of the and it was in a bonsai pot growing uh and the bonsai pot was in a mortar tub that i kept filled with water and the water was up to about the lip of the pot um but when the knees came up i i immediately pulled the pot out of the water because i was afraid that it would uh, the knees would would grow too fast Mm. and what wound up happening was about uh, more than half of the knees uh died the roots they were attached to did not die, but the knees just kind of just eventually they just rotted away hmm. because the tree didn't need them anymore. 
yeah. to the, the lack of water sent the message to the tree. You don't need these things. Um, and so, you know, it just that kind of launched me on a on a research of uh, of knees and what happens to knees and how they grow and why they grow and uh, and the reason for their existence. And, and also and that's a whole nother topic, the reason for their existence. But anyway, um, so the the. I don't think it matters a whole lot what you grow them in as long as they get plenty of water. Mm -hmm. So, and one of the things that I want to do this year is um, when we come around back to bald cypress collecting season, I want to pull three, maybe five. I don't know. Uh, depends on the type of experiment that I want to do is I want to pull, I think three would be a good controlled environment kind of thing. So I'm not uh, overworking myself with these trees is put one in miracle grow like you've said um and then put one in traditional bone size soil mix like boone mix like my other tree like i've described is in and then for the third one uh i don't know like maybe i'll try because I've, I've grown a lot of the trees in what we use at underhill it's small lava slightly medium size pumice it's still a little bit on the small side uh some pine bark which i find to be a little unnecessary because it's organic it goes away eventually and then uh true grow which is a texas mind uh sort of like hayday but it's for rooftop gardening and doug's done some research on it and he thinks it's the truth so but i haven't seen any difference between it and pumice it i think pumice is still better when it comes to water retention um and then as far as a third mix, I want to do something a little bit more different. Maybe I'll go straight just pumice and lava and see if there's something happens. Or I know that Joel Jenkins is trying just straight Akadama on one of his trees. So Right. That's what um, uh, Hurley Johnson in Texas, he told me he uses straight Akadama on his bald cypress. Really? Yeah, I found that in interesting. Um, but, uh, I'm not quite as, um, I'm not quite, a, a, as, as free with, uh, my ideas on soil as guy and that you could grow it in, in bald cypress and styrofoam. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I don't think it matters, uh, a whole lot. Uh, I mean, the main thing is just the, where people run into trouble is not giving them enough water. I've had, mm. I've had people, um, you know, talk about their trees and say, uh, you know, here in the in the heat of summer in, in, in August, well, you know, my foliage is bronzing up and it's turning brown, you know, mm. like they normally do in summertime. And I'm going, no, they shouldn't <laughs> that, be. Yeah, that's not if that's happening, then there's a problem going on with the roots in the soil. It's not, uh, you know, it's not just what they normally do. Mm -hmm. But so many people just come to, you know, think that that's what they do, yeah. uh, at least in pot culture anyway. So but um, but yeah, I, water to me is just that's that's the primary ingredient. And uh, just depending on uh, then what you want to do in terms of whether you want to grow knees or not, just depends on how much water you give them. Yeah. And I think bald cypresses have more than proven themselves to be the tree that can grow in just the worst of situations when it comes to soil, soil quality and and uh, location. Like if it's drier, if it's just in water 100% of its life, 
And uh, you you do mention the the thing about the bronzing in the summer. And I actually had somebody contact me a little while ago, like via email. They had collected a tree with me in um, in February, and then they said my tree's looking ragged. And one of the things that I noticed is that a lot of the people that go out and they collect trees, they put them in these black mortar tubs. And I yep. and I think one of the and and I'm I don't know how you know you have a, you have a little my you have a little bit to a lot more experience on this than I do, but I believe that the mortar tubs get really hot, and then the edges of the edges of those root systems get a little they get a little burned sometimes. They don't necessarily get scorched, but that that warmth is just a little too much, and it causes them to retract, and that could also cause the trees to kind of retract a little bit too, and try to protect themselves from that that black container. Um, and me and Carmen literally just did an episode, uh, a few episodes back where we're talking about watering, how important watering is. And if we, if we catch our cypresses in that part of the day when it's the hottest and we recycle that water and we replace, replace that hot water with cool water, we might just be able to catch it back up. You know, I, I'll tell you what, what I, um, this summer, because it has been, it has been unseasonably hot this, this summer. I Mm -hmm. mean, 105, 100. I mean, we don't normally see those kinds of temperatures in New Orleans, um, but not just with my bald cypress, but with several other trees I found getting stressed. And uh, what I what I did was I just went out with uh, uh, some old um, some old bath towels, mm-hmm. and I just I drape it over the soil and the and the pot. Um, and I use a light a light color like an, an old white. And a couple of times, just old white T-shirts. Uh, draping it over the soil and the and the uh, lips of the pot uh, to help keep the uh, help keep the temperature down on the on the pot and also to help uh, retain a little bit more uh, moisture keep keep down the evaporation from occurring so so rapidly uh, in the middle of all this heat too. Yeah, that's a that's a really great recommendation to take as far as uh, especially on bald cypresses because I even even talked to Dawn about this kind of stuff when it comes to covering them. Uh, there, I've I've seen this a little bit. I don't know if this is a direct uh, connection to too much sun on their flutes, but I've I've heard that too much sun on their flutes during the hottest part of the summer could even sunburn them, and so putting a shirt or a towel on them could even help relieve that kind of stress as well. And uh, sometimes you'll get dye back on your flutes, and it might just be because also that root where it was cut and during any collection it's getting a little dry on the surface where those new fibrous roots are trying to grow out. But I think it's a little bit of everything too. I mean, the white t-shirt thing and the, and the white towel, whatever your, your towel is going to get ruined, but I mean, I much rather would save my tree, you know, get a cheap towel every year. Yeah. 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 I've, I've never, I've, I've never heard about the um, flutes getting, getting sunburned, but I've certainly seen people's uh, flutes, uh, die back and and rot because they wound up um, when they were collecting it uh, cut too close and cut too much of that that base off. Some of these flutes, you know, they don't all go out real in a regular uh, diameter around the trunk. Some some wind up being longer and stronger than others, and and uh, you can't always see what you're cutting beneath that mucky soil. And uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who've. Uh, gotten cut off a little bit too much uh, and maybe there's not even uh, there's not even any roots uh on the on the bottom of that flute where the where it was cut uh mm-hmm. and it'll die back up the up the trunk and then they've got a 
uh, different kind of design issue to have to deal with. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I certainly know that other trees, the uh, other species can certainly the roots, surface roots can get sunburn and and die back on you. The tops of them, elms mm-hmm. are bad about that. Uh, Jap maples too in 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 our heat down here. Yeah, and I mean just that that little bit of surface where you have your soil it you have to really think about like the first half inch to even sometimes a full inch depending on your uh, the the surface area of your soil in your pot any of that could be at jeopardy during the hottest time of the year when that evaporation happens right there and that's exactly. where dehydration happens to those roots um but yeah as far as cypresses uh getting die back on their on their flutes it's not the end of the world because i've seen uh, the sides of the flutes catch up and and actually make good roots, and then you can carve that that flute to make it look like it's almost like two or a slight hollow. Yeah. So it you know there's there's pros and cons to that type of stuff ha- happening with them, but um, but yeah, that's that's kind of getting into like a yeah we're talking about collecting a little bit, and we're talking about like post ap- like aftercare, so it's kind of bouncing back and forth, but uh, but before before we wrap up on this, I wanted I wanted to kind of go over. One more topic. I noticed that you have uh, on the on the Bald Cypress Facebook group. You've written quite a few articles that you're kind of releasing uh, throughout, you know, throughout the, the month or whatever. You've just kind of been popping stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the ones I saw a couple of people were kind of back and forth on was your uh, Bald Cypress tip pinching te- technique for refinement. Right, right. Interesting. Um, that's something I don't feel like a lot of people talk about because. It's a it's a conifer in the cypress family, so you could theoretically pinch the tip of the growing leaf because every leaf is has potential to grow into a branch. Right. So yeah, the the um, I, I think that the biggest disagreement has been, um, and, and look, there's all <laughs> there's always going to be disagreement. I mean, I don't do this so that everybody's going to. Uh, agree with me all i can do is say look i've been i've been um, i started growing my first ball cypress in 1972 mm-hmm. um and and i've i've made it my mission in life through through vaughn dave de Groot, and others uh to learn as much as i as i can about them but bud pinching um if you think about it in terms of like units of energy um the, the disagreement comes some people think that the way to get um, better ramification a- is through leaf stripping. So mm. you you strip all of the leaves off and you get better ramification. From from my experience, that that's a secondary uh, benefit. It's not the it's not the primary function, and it's not the main thing that happens. The main thing that happens from defoliating any tree is a reduction in the leaf size. Now you will get some back budding, but look, you've once a tree has expended the bulk of its growth energy, and here we are in July or August, and you strip all of those leaves off, the tree only has so so much food in reserve. And so when it starts pushing out a whole new set of leaves because it has to survive, then that's what makes those leaves smaller. But you weaken the tree in the process, and it it's the tree is not going to be gaining a whole lot of ground in terms of growth for the following year by depleting it of all of that food and energy. 
But by bud pinching, as the as the growth is just coming out and you just pinch out that compressed tip of each of those little shoot each of those little leaf leaves that are that are beginning to elongate you stop the growth that you're not robbing the tree of growth but you're forcing it then to pop buds in other places because the the tree is going to expend all of its normal amount of energy whether that's 50%, 60%, 70% of their stored food over the uh, from, from the winter months, they're going to push it out. And so by pinching all of the tips, uh, to me, that forces a, a lot more uh, back budding and, and growth, which is if you're trying to get twigging and, and fine ramification, um, certainly works a lot better than, uh, than defoliating. Yeah, and... I think for such a strong tree to suddenly just do a reset on it, it it's going to do all the wrong things, uh, especially if you're trying to get some kind of balance in your in your cypress. Because a uh, full deal, a full defoliation, like you said, will give you a smaller leaf, but the tree is always going to be apically dominant. So you don't even have control over over balancing the top. Like you could pinch more out of the top and then leave the bottom to do sure. intact to keep doing its thing to develop your first branch and second branch but you're doing in my opinion it's like doing the tree a disservice just to strip all those leaves because like you said it only has so much stored energy right right and and that's uh, and i think people start defoliating um and bud pinching um you know way before they should and and i mean way before they should in terms of the development of the tree because um, you know, if you're trying to get smaller leaves, you shouldn't be worried about that until you've got all of your primary, secondary, and tertiary branch structure, mm -hmm. the diameter that you that you want it, and uh, you know, and in the places that that you want it. Then you know, the bud pinching and and defoliating that should be like the last stage of development in a in any tree but in particular ball cypress and you don't have to if you want to redirect growth you don't just you don't have to go in and pinch every leaf you know you can just pinch out the tips of the new growth not necessarily each individual leaf like you're saying they're so top dominant so here you've got these shoots coming out of the top and they're getting really out of hand they're getting um too too thick in relation to some of the other branch structures, so you could just you just pinch out the the growth tips, and then once you've eliminated those active auxins, then the other auxins that are kind of dormant, not really doing a whole lot, all of a sudden the energy is is put into those to back bud to uh, start elongating other shoots on the tree because because it's going to push out and use. Uh, a certain amount of energy for for each year's growth, so I would much rather pinch buds uh, to get smaller leaves than uh, than defoliate. Nothing wrong with defoliation. I mean, a lot of people do it. I just think for for bald cypress, if you're trying to keep it strong, and look, I've I've def I've uh, done mud pinching on a on a on a tree uh, two years in a row. You know, it's an aggravation because you got, you got to be out there every day pinching those buds before they get too long, get that collapsed tip out of there. But after doing so, I've gotten so much back budding 
Now there's so many growth tips for that energy to go into. I don't have elongating leaves anymore. Um, you know, the most I might have is maybe two inches uh, throughout the entire tree. Um, and if I were to like this this year, I didn't do any any bud pinching, um, but on a particular tree, but everything's like within two inches. And given the size of the tree, I was happy with that. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying earlier with developing their branches, I mean, just by allowing them to just grow like they normally do without having to, to, to worry about too much about developing and refining, they will like that's that's I think. What I was kind of thinking about there is whenever people do a a chop on the top and they're trying to grow their new leader out and they get to refinement too fast, they don't let their top leader grow too, too they don't let it grow enough to match right. the taper. Right, right. That, that's kind of stuff needs to be taken care of first as well. And also the healing of wounds that you might cause, because I see a lot of people collect bald cypresses and a lot of people chop them. And then a lot of people don't treat the wound at the top right either. So, mm -hmm. so I, I think I've even seen people get to the point where they'll collect a tree, they'll they'll carve it and try to get that new leader to start going. And then right when it gets to the point where the tree's going to start running and it's going to start getting that good taper and it'll start rolling the cambium, they've already chopped it and they've already done the defoliation and they're trying to get like that bald cypress look already. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it goes a lot of different ways um, with just the way that these trees are treated. Yeah. And, and it, it's look, it's, it's just a uh, it's just a symptom of of that uh, that all bonsai art not all but most bonsai artists um, are in too big a hurry tr to try to develop their their tree. Everybody wants the finished product ASAP, mm. and you know you've got to be patient and you got to let some of these things that some of these things run their run their course and just grow wild uh, mm. because you've done so much to them, collecting them out of the swamp. Uh, chopping the chopping the trunk now they don't have any there's not a single branch on on the tree it takes more than a more than a year for those trees to really fully fully recover they recover fast uh but um you know if you want to maintain the maximum health and and as you say get uh get proper uh taper and development that's got to be first and foremost so there are times I've, I've had a couple of trees where i didn't even let a branch grow I just rubbed off every bud on the trunk because I wanted that leader. I wanted mm. all of the energy that that tree was going to put out for a couple of years to be focused in developing the leader. And they would get up past the roof of the house. Yeah. But <laughs> by by not letting any branches uh, develop on the trunk and forcing it all to go up into that, into that single leader, uh, yeah, then you're able to develop taper pretty quickly and you get that that big scar healed over mm -hmm. yeah they that that's kind of one of the coolest things you can do with bald cypress is that you can you can have them just grow one liter out and then cut them back and they will back bud up and down the trunk <laughs> unless there's major issues somewhere down the line they will always back bud onto their trunk so oh, yeah. yeah just hundreds of buds yeah like I'm, I'm building a informal upright and I was missing a spot right where my chop is because they don't really bud on the scar tissue too well. Um, you could do that with some gra like approach grafting stuff if you really need to cover it up. But I had a bud pop 
right there because I was starting to kind of bring the top down. I was starting to bring the energy down and a bud popped like right below the, the chop. And then it gave me a perfect opportunity to run that out, wire it up into position. And in at the end of this year, I'm hoping it'll be roughly about the right uh, girth for me so I can just cut it off in the spring and then start building it. So yeah, they're yeah. really, they're really a versatile tree. And I don't think people um, take into, you know, into consideration all the techniques that could be honed in is, you know, like almost as unique as like a juniper or a Japanese black pine or a Japanese maple, they have their own development factors and things to consider with them. Yeah. Yeah, ab yeah. absolutely. And, and they're just, they're, they're so forgiving, uh, you know, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, um, there's so many, one of the th interesting things that I've found from the, um, uh, from the, uh, uh, Bald Cypress uh, Facebook group is, uh, boy, there's a heck of a lot of, of uh, opinions out there about different mm -hmm. things, some great looking trees, but, um, but and some of the, some people have like really strong uh, opinions. I don't know what their opinions are all based on. I don't know how much research they've they've done um, and and studying, reading reading books and research articles on bald cypress. But but uh, but yeah, people get some really strong opinions, and man, they want to fight to the death to defend. Yeah, <laughs> some of their ideas. But, I mean, uh, and that's just but, how bonsai is just going to be like that. And I mean, there's so many other artists like overarching styles that people are saying that they're following this master's techniques versus, you know, this person who's doing something innovative. And and it's it's it, it's all the Internet exposure nowadays. It's kind of and I mean, we're doing something we're kind of doing our own thing here is like we're doing the show and we're we're putting our own thoughts into the ethos. So, you know, <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's a lot of different ways to go with it. We can't tell anyone what's right or wrong. So, but I mean, you know, uh, but I see like, if you guys want to go check it out for the listeners out there, you can go to Facebook, go to bald Cypress bonsai. Um, Randy, you're one of the creators of the, of the page, I believe. Right. Yeah. I, I, I put it, put it together. Um, yeah. After after urging from uh, from some of my students who said, you know, you got to get with the with the twenty first century. Here. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I said okay because I'd never even had a Facebook page, Instagram, or any of that kind of stuff until a month ago, and um, so it's been a it, it's been an education, but a really uh, thrilling experience for me to see how many people around the world are. Uh, experimenting and growing with um, with you know growing bald cypress. I mean, I had a guy um, late last night. I uh, would check check the Facebook page before going to bed, and here's some uh, guy in New Zealand um, hmm. who's acquired some. I'm not sure how because they don't. Uh, uh, I don't know if he had to mail order them or what he had to, had to do because they don't grow there. Um, but, uh, you know, excited and showing me pictures of his, of his bald cypress. And it's like, I, and I had no idea that there were people, you know, around the world, uh, you know, trying to grow our, our native bald cypress. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the, the biggest surprises for me when I initially, uh, had launched the show and I was talking to a guy in Australia, he says that they love bald cypress there. But of all places in the world, like Australia, that's it's crazy to think. <laughs> and he said what they do is they get seeds and then they put them in these uh these big water vats 
and they let the seeds grow up and basically just muck. And then they, they grow them as much as they can and they don't get the fluting and anything crazy. Like they don't really get like the quality of the knees and the flutes and the flair and all that stuff that we can get, but it's, it's still cypress. And yeah, yeah. And I can see that in some of the trees that people have that I've like you like you've mentioned. Like you go in here and you you read like, oh, this tree's in New Zealand. There's there's this tree's in the UK. This tree, you know, like this and that. And yeah. I mean, sometimes people get lucky and they have a way to get them imported or or yeah. find somewhere. Or but growing from seed, that's the next best thing. Then you really got to wait, but you'll have a really great tree. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I was a guy, uh, another guy sent me pictures of his tree from Ireland. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, man, this is, uh, this is exciting stuff, uh, you know, and, and, and that there's so many people interested in bald cypress and it's such a wonderful species to work on and so forgiving. Um, you know, I, I recommend bald cypress to beginners more more than any other tree because oh, it is so forgiving, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I try to be a little, a little uh, touch and go on recommending bald cypresses to beginners because of all the other information out there. Um, Cause I mean, I'll, I'll recommend a, a Chinese elm. I'll recommend a, a uh, Procumens Nana juniper. And then if they're, they're feeling really like if they want to get into bone side, yeah, bald cypress is next. But I would say for, for all all the people out there that are listening that want to get into bald cypress, take it take it slow. Take a lot of uh, me and Randy's advice on this when it comes to. I mean, don't get ahead of yourself and don't you know don't neglect the tree. I mean, it, it is very resilient, but just you know, you see that burst of growth. That's because the tree's struggling to survive. Not oh, I'm ready to be chopped and carved. So <laughs> that's kind of where it goes. But uh, but yeah. We'll start. Uh, we'll start wrapping it up here, Randy. Uh, just have some closing uh, remarks. So for uh, for the listeners that have listened this far into the episode, thank you so much for listening. Like mentioned before, you can support the show uh, by going over to patreon.com forward slash little things for bonsai people, and you can sh- you could support the show at a one dollar level per month or a t- or a five dollar level per month, and you can become a bonsai best bud, and you can come into our Discord chat and hang out, talk bonsai with our our little community of bonsai enthusiasts there. Um, we, you can also go over to underhillbonsai.com and check out stuff that I've written and our online store. And uh, for for you, Randy, I, you don't really have a lot of information out on the internet because you said you're pretty new to it, but is there anywhere else that you can think of that you would recommend? Um, no, I think, you know, I'm just, I'm just excited that, that, um, that you and Doug uh, have uh, have chosen the Folsom area to have a, a, a fabulous nursery that's so close to New Orleans and Slidell and Covington and other areas. Uh, and uh, you guys are just doing a phenomenal job up there. And every time I come and visit, I'm amazed to see all of the new growth and progress uh, within the nursery up there. And I just, you know, just want to commend both you and and Doug and I know you're working your guts out out, out up there <laughs> uh, and it shows. Believe me, it's uh, um, just really impressed with the way the operation has grown over the years. And you just guys just keep up the good work. Oh, thank you so much, Randy. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for hanging out and talking bald cypress and bonsai. Like that's that's what I do just about every single day. And I know a lot of people who are enthusiastic about bonsai. It's kind of what they, you know. Uh, eat, sleep, and, and bonsai. 
So, yeah, right. Well, so. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, definitely, Randy. You have a great one, and uh, and thank you to the listeners for uh, for hanging out with us today. Y'all have a good one. Yeah.